You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. You can open up your Bible to the book of Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 67 today as we start our Advent series. If I can get my papers arranged here. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 67. I wanted to, before we read this text and explain it and seek to make sense of it for our own lives, I wanted to share a few things just because there's a lot of moving parts as we uh, enter into Advent season, things coming up, opportunities uh, for you. And so I wanted to note a few things briefly before we get into the text today. Uh, one is that we have free what we call Advent guides that are available at the Resource Center. They're also available online if you'd like a digital version. They're on our website. Uh, you can get those and have those on your devices or print them at home, but uh, we have some print versions as well. These are designed to even start being used today and this week that begins this morning. uh, They have a few readings each week that we'd recommend you do as an individual or as a family if you'd like to, or maybe with your roommates at college if you'd like to have something to read uh, together. There's a few readings each week. There's even a few activities that we recommend, especially for families with young kids, uh, that you could do over the course of this month, ways to minister to people or to seek to instill things in your own Part as a family. And so I encourage you to grab one of those or find that online and start using that even today. I'm looking forward to doing that uh, with my family. Another thing is in your bulletin that you received, we have an insert, a card. Uh, it's a, a little sheet of paper that has a memory verse on it. We're going to try to start memorizing this together and do that this month as a church family. We'll probably read it even together in the weeks ahead. Uh, but it's from this very passage that we're going to uh, read from today about joy coming to the nations and that being on God's heart from the get-go and that we get now to be part of extending that joy to the nation. So I'd encourage you to take that, put that on your refrigerator or somewhere where you'll see it, remember it, and try to get that into your mind and heart over the next few weeks. And the last thing I wanted to note is, and this is the third year running that we've done this, but at the back of the auditorium starting today, you probably saw as you came in, we have a few tables that aren't normally back there uh, that we have some trees on, and there's a lot of paper ornaments on those. Just briefly what those are, we like each December, and we're doing this again this year, to give you some opportunities to be a blessing, even through tangible gifts, either monetarily or through uh, items that you could go purchase from stores. But to be a blessing, especially to local ministries here, there's some tables back there uh, for uh, Heartline, for Fellowship Missions, and for All Things New, Uh, different items that you could either purchase for their residents, like there's uh, boots and coats that residents of Fellowship Mission need, for example. Uh, There is Heartline, a ministry here in our town to, to... Families that are expect, or people that are expecting children unexpectedly. Uh, they have a ministry that where they're seeking to start up where they minister to women who have lost children recently, where they even purchased weighted bears uh, that we know from experience, even in our family, can be an immensely wonderful gift uh, to remember the child that they've lost, but they need some funds to help start that up. So that could be a way that you donate uh, to their ministry. Uh, the, I will note we've normally done Cardinal Elf uh, the last few years for Cardinal Services, a wonderful organization here in our community. When we called them up a few weeks ago to see if we could do that, they already had every single one of their residents covered by people in our community. So 
we would just be, yeah, that's wonderful. She was excited to tell us that, but didn't want you to think we're sliding them or ignoring them. They are covered uh, for the year. But one unique thing this year, and you'll get to hear more from uh, him next week, but uh, we're going to get to hear Chris Jones, one of our missionaries, preach next Sunday, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I'm excited. I'll clap for that uh, to hear uh, Chris Jones preach. But uh, him and his wife, Evie, and their daughter are part of a team that is seeking to do church planning in Papua New Guinea amongst a tribe of people uh, called the Pei people. And they, as they are getting, they've been home, it's a long story, uh, through an injury of Chris, but they're ready to go back in just a few short months. But as they go back, their team needs a few things that are fairly costly, like a satellite phone because they're out remotely uh, with their tribe and they're in the village there. Uh, they need monsoon paper, waterproof paper. We take for granted that our scriptures and our books don't get wet and soggy. And so they need paper that they can print literacy material on and eventually scriptures on uh, that so it doesn't decay and get eaten by bugs and things like that that we don't ever even have to think about. But they have some things that they need as they get ready to go back that we'd love to be able to cover all of that. I'd love to see every ornament on every table uh, taken and see donations made to these local organizations and even to the Joneses and their team. So if you'd like to look at that, I encourage you to do that this morning. They'll be up next week and the following weeks as well. But if you take one of those ornaments, make sure you write down on the note or on the clipboards there that you took it so we know who took what and we can make sure that we get uh, these things given to these people. Um, So I would encourage you to check those out and see how you may be able uh, to give. Have you found Psalm 67? Uh, We're going to be reading that today. It's a short text. It's just seven verses, but it has much to say. And I think you'll see how this psalm in particular ties to the title of our sermon series. We're calling it Joy to the World. Uh, We sang that song this morning. It's a song that we hear on the radios and we see on Christmas cards and doormats and ornaments and things like that. This phrase, joy to the world. And this is timely, this series in many different ways. But one small way I think it's timely is that even as we've been going through the Gospel of John the last numerous months, we're up in in that story and we're hitting pause on that for these few weeks. We were up to the point in that story where Jesus is at that last night before he was to be arrested and crucified. We're in chapter 15, the middle of it. And just within the last couple of weeks, we landed, we didn't get to dive into it, but we, or we passed by, I should say, John 15, verse 11, which was something Jesus said that night to his disciples. And he said this to them. He said, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And so we know from the very lips of Jesus, this isn't just us making up this idea, but on the heart of Jesus, even as he was coming to the end of his life, was this desire to see his people have joy. To see his joy be passed upon them, and not just some light, trivial amount of joy, but he wanted their joy to be full. Uh, He wanted them to have this enduring, powerful, lasting joy in their life. And so uh, even our world knows this is true about Christmas. As they hear that song and they see those words over and over, they know that the coming of Jesus into the world was to bring joy. If they know it for no other reason than this song that they sing, Joy to the World. Uh, They know that there's some connection between the coming of Jesus into the world and the giving of joy to human beings. And we want to make sure, as we look at this text and the text we're going to look at the next few weeks, we want to make sure of two things, that we're experiencing that joy ourselves first, uh, that we are recipients of that joy that Christ can give to us. But we also want to remember, as we're going to see in this passage today, we want to remember that it is joy to the world. 
the, the scope at which, the breadth of which Jesus wants to spread this joy. Uh, that, that it wasn't just to come to us and to stay with us, but it is to go to all people everywhere for all time until he decides to come back, until he is sent back to this planet. And so we're going to read this psalm together, seven verses, Psalm 67. As we start this study, we're calling it Joy to the World Today. And so follow along with me in your copy of the scripture, Psalm 67. And we'll start with the heading over it, and then I'll read uh, through all seven verses. But I would encourage you to follow along. It says, To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. It's a wonderful, wonderful passage uh, that I, I, I wish I could preach about five sermons on, but I get one shot, so I will do my best, and hopefully the Spirit uh, empowers me to do it and us to get all that we can from it. But this psalm is so helpful and so important. And I think to the background, in the background of it, that's important for us to remember is the very passage that the Hertzlers read for us earlier from Genesis chapter 12. Uh, this was this psalm was written, this one we're reading today was written, we don't know exactly when, but hundreds of years before Jesus was born. But what they read this morning for us from Genesis 12 was a few thousand years before Jesus was born. And God had given this promise to his people, and it wasn't even a nation, and he had given this promise to Abraham, uh, that where he had said this, I'll review this for you, what they read earlier, he had said this to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and then listen to this and see if you don't hear echoes of this in what we just read, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in, this is how the promise ended, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That was the promise that God gave to Abraham, where he said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless that nation so you can be a blessing to others. And then he said, that blessing I'm going to use you to extend is going to go to all the families of the earth. Like not just to Jews, which Abraham wouldn't have even known what that meant, uh, but not just to the Jews, but to all the peoples of the earth. And you see in Psalm 67, what we read, which came hundreds and hundreds of years after that, you see that in the background here. You see, this was, this, the book of Psalms is a song book for that nation that God developed. Uh, that, that, that he grew out of the family of Abraham. And you see in this psalm, right at the beginning, there's this acknowledgement in this song that God has already been doing some of what he promised to Abraham. 
they, they, they know that he has blessed them, right? They, at this point in time when this psalm was written, God had already blessed them in many ways, hadn't he? If you think back and you know much of the history of Israel, you know that God gave Abraham that son. And that God gave him a son. And God gave that son a lot of sons. And it, it expanded from there. And this nation of Israel had grown out of this one man that God had given this promise to. God was blessing them. And God had given them his law to follow. A gift of God. God had given them an entire land to live in. Uh, that, that he had expelled their enemies from and given them a land to live in. He had given them a temple in the city of Jerusalem where he took up residence to live with them and among them. He gave them kings to rule over them. He, he was blessing them with blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And verse 1 of this psalm, as we start into it, is a call from God's people back then to continue that blessing. They've already been blessed, but they say, echoing Numbers chapter 6, this blessing that would be said over and over again to them. They say, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. So they wanted more blessing from God. They wanted him to continue to show favor to them as a nation, as the nation of Israel. They wanted him to bless them. And we may be tempted to think that that's a very selfish prayer. No one should ever ask for blessing upon themselves or upon their nation, upon their group of people, upon their family. But I would want you to note how this psalm continues after they pray that basic prayer, for asking God to be gracious and to bless them. You see in verses 2 and following that it is not just a selfish prayer. The reason they're wanting God's blessing to continue is to do what he said he would do to Abraham, to make them a blessing, to, to bless them so that they could bless others. So they say, bless us, be gracious to us, make your face shine upon us. But verse 2 starts, that your way may be known on earth, that your saving power may be known among all the nations. And so they have this desire to, to have God bless them so that, verse 3, the peoples praise you, O oh God. All the peoples praise you, not just us, not just the Jews. We want all of the people of the earth to praise you. So they're asking God to bless them so that they could be a blessing to the nations. You see in verse 2 that they want, this, God wanted his people to long for this, that this was a song. He wanted them to long for his way Verse 2, to be known on the earth. That, that people all over the globe, no matter where they live, no matter what year they're born in or year they die in, that they would know the way God called them to live. That they would know what his expectations are of them. That they would know how he has made them to live. And in verse 2, you see that they wanted, there was this desire that was supposed to be growing in their heart as they sang this song. They wanted God's saving power to be known by all the peoples of the earth by all the nations. As a nation, the Jewish people had the exodus to look back on. That they had heard stories of, true stories of, of how God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt and demonstrated his power in sending plagues and parting the Red Sea and making it come back over their enemies. They had seen God's saving power for them, but they wanted all the nations to see the saving power of to know it not just for the Jewish people, but for every human being who would receive it. They, they wanted the saving power of God to be known by all people, not just Jews. 
And you, we see, though, like, you could imagine that they want his saving power to be known if we just ended at verse 2, that they maybe wanted his saving power to be known in delivering them and to the exclusion of everybody else. Like, deliver us again, God, like, so they can see how powerful you are and how you protect us and forget them. But you see that it was what they were longing for in this psalm as they would sing this wasn't that. They wanted these nations not just to see God's power as observers, like, wow, like, I cannot believe he can do that, and my goodness, do not mess with him, like, that type of detached viewing of the power of God. They wanted, verse 3 and verse 5 are exact copies of each other, they wanted the peoples to praise God, like, not just to tremble at him and be afraid of him and awe and wonder at him, but to praise him. To have their hearts change to say, we love you and we worship you and we see you who for you are and we acknowledge you, we love you, all of those things. That's what they wanted was this praise to rise up amongst the people of the, or of the world. And they wanted it to be, note in verse 2 and 3 and 5, they wanted it to be among all the nations, all the peoples of the earth. This would include their enemies. This would include the people who were mistreating them. This would include us. Like the, their desire that God was putting in their heart to see. They wouldn't have known what Americans are or whatever ethnicities we are. They wouldn't have known those unless we are ethnic Jews. But it, this includes a desire to see us praise God. A desire to see us know his saving power, to know his way. And you see in this psalm, there's this desire, this yearning that God wanted his people to even have in the Old Testament times, long before Jesus. This yearning he wanted them to have in their hearts to see all the peoples of the world find their joy in God. That's what verse 4, the verses 3 and 5 are kind of like the bread. They're exact copies of each other of a sandwich where verse 4 is the meat of it. And ver- verse 4 says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. That is the core of this psalm. That's the core of this song that they would sing is let the nations find their gladness, find their joy in knowing God. And they are confident, if you read the bottom of the last few verses of this psalm, that God's going to do just that. That, that, that it's, they pray this prayer at the beginning, may God bless us so that we could be a blessing. And at the end of the psalm, they're, almost, they're saying it and singing it like it's a fact already. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. And there's this expectation God's going to do this. When God makes promises, he comes good on them. And he is going to bring joy to the nations. He's going to bring joy to the world someday. And they didn't know exactly how that was going to come. But God wanted his people, by the presence of this psalm being in their songbook, God wanted his people to yearn for the nations to find their joy in him. He wanted that to be deep in their hearts. This song would have been on the lips of God's people before the birth of Jesus. It would have been songs like we sing together. When they gathered together, this would have been a song they sing together. It was to be on their lips and in their hearts, this desire to see the nations find their joy in God. But as we come to the time where we read of the birth of Jesus, if you know much about history, you know even though they were singing this psalm, as God's people, and we're supposed to have that longing in their heart to see the nations find their joy in God. When it came time, the days of Mary and Joseph, as God's people looked around them, 
and their life and the situations that they were in, they probably didn't feel the same sense of confidence that the, whoever wrote this, we don't know, whoever wrote Psalm 67, it doesn't seem like in the days of Mary and Joseph that they shared that same optimism, that same uh, confidence and gladness and blessedness uh, that these people experienced in generations gone by. They'd imagined that God's blessing, this blessing that they wanted for themselves, they had imagined that blessing as coming through military strength and through political power and that God's blessing would give them agricultural prosperity and economic stability and all these things that they were longing for in life. That's how they thought the blessing of God would come to them so that then it would put them in a position to bless others. And that was their expectation, I think, and their expectation even of where their joy would come from was through those things, was through stability and peace and having a king on the throne in Jerusalem. That was their hope. That was where they looked for joy, and it wasn't there. And it's important for us as we look at this psalm and hear of the joy that the nations are to have, and even as we think about it in weeks to come, it's important for us to understand what joy is. Like if the nations are to sing for it, that's us. If we're to sing for joy, what is that? What, what is the joy that we are to long for and that we're supposed to share now with other people? Some people try to speak, and I've probably done this at times, try to speak of joy. As we try so hard to detach joy from happiness that we talk about joy in such soft terms as if it's just some like cold, unfeeling steadiness in a person. As if it's like, man, I, I just have this calmness, this peace about me, and that's my joy. But that is not how the Bible talks about joy. This says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Like, there is supposed to be an effect. If we have joy in our hearts, there's supposed to be some sense of emotion within us, a sense of, uh, there's many authors who have tried to describe this many ways, but there's a few that, that I read this week that I thought were helpful. Is to, They thought of joy as a good feeling in the soul as we see the beauty of God. That was one. A, a good feeling in the soul as we see the beauty of God. Or another said, described joy as a delight in God and in salvation as we see him for who he is, the great God he is. There's a delight in God and in his salvation. Or another author, the last one I'll mention, talked about joy as, I like this in the spirit of Christmas, taking good cheer from the gospel. That, there's, that there should be a cheer, a cheeriness, not just this trite, trivial, like, ignoring of the problems of the world, but there should be joy is to have a gladness in my soul, uh, a, a good cheer that comes in my heart from knowing who God is and how he has brought salvation to me, the extent to which he's gone to show my love. There should be a sense, even if it's mixed with sorrow at times or sadness at times, there should be a real sense in which we are marked by a good feeling in our soul, a gladness within our hearts, a delight in God and his salvation and this joy that should be in us and that god wanted them to desire to see take place and rise up in all the nations that joy when you come up to the time of jesus being born does not seem like it was present in very many of god's people rather as you read through back through this psalm and hear what they were wanting god to do for them 
in verse 1. They were asking God to be gracious to them. But before the birth of Jesus, they probably felt, and rightfully so, that God was disciplining them. That God was not necessarily being gracious and merciful, but that he was showing discipline to his people. And rather than God's face shining upon them, it seemed like God was turning his face away from them. Rather than showing his saving power, like verse 2 says, and what they longed for, it seemed like God was restraining his power. Like he was letting them stay under the rule of the Romans and others. And that this desire to see the nations sing for joy, that was not happening. The nations weren't singing for joy. They weren't even singing for joy. Like Mary and Joseph and the people of their day and age, by and large, were not singing for joy, let alone spreading that joy to the world. But you see, God had this psalm in their songbook on purpose because he wanted them to long to see the nations fear him, to love him, to serve him, to find their joy in him. He wanted that to be deeply embedded in their hearts and in the songs they would sing because he was going to bring it about. And when you come uh, read through the Old Testament, you see there's other promises that were given beyond just that one to Abraham. There's other promises that started to be given. We'll read some even as the month goes on. But God's people knew that someday there was going to be a Messiah who came. One particular person through whom the promises God had made was, were going to come true. That, that the promises God had given to them, this person who, whenever he came, was going to bring them about. He was going to deliver these things. A single Israelite, a single Jew, who would rise up from their nation. And I want to look back at this psalm now and see how Jesus is the fulfillment of this psalm. How he is the one who actually brings about this joy, brings about this gladness that they were to long for amongst the nations. Jesus is the one who brings it about. So let's briefly look and see how we see Christ in this psalm. First, I would point out this to you. They asked that God would make his face to shine upon them as Jews, right? That was what they were longing for. That is a prayer that was embedded in them as a, as a nation. A prayer for God's presence. A prayer for God's nearness to them. That his favor, his, his smile over them, so to speak. That make your face to shine upon us. And they already had the temple. They had a place where God, in some sense, had taken up residence there inside the temple. But when Jesus came, what was coming true? God was becoming a human being with a face, not to be crude, but with a face. He became one of them. He became one of us, a fellow human being. And they didn't have to wonder if God's face was shining upon them because they had the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, there with them in human form and his face quite literally to shine upon them. His, his nearness that, that surpassed in many ways the nearness of God that had been from his rule in heaven and then even him taking up residence in that temple. Now they had God in flesh and blood as a human being that they could talk to, who could hug them, who could speak to them, who could teach them. God's face shined upon them in ways it never had before when Jesus came into this world. And they had been praying that, in verse 2, that God's way would be known on the earth. They've been praying that, that human beings would know what God expected of them, that, that they would know how God was calling them to live. And what happened when Jesus came to this earth? 
as he grew up and became a man and started to have public ministry, he was declaring the way of God to the people of the earth and not just to Jews. He was telling all people everywhere. We have it recorded now in scriptures as people who aren't Jews where we know from his words, his mouth, the inspired words of God, we know the way of God and have no excuse. We are called to live in particular ways. And he didn't just show the way of God in his words and commands and expectations. He showed the way of God, the way of life of God and how he lived. The Jews did not have prior to Jesus... The human race did not have, prior to Jesus, a perfect example of how to live life, of how to live out the ways of God. But in the person of Jesus, we now and forever have that, that we have someone who has shown us the way of God and how he lived his life, and he showed it perfectly. And this is sweet to think about. Verse 2, they prayed that God's saving power would be known among all the nations. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, that most definitely came true in the life of Jesus. Like, they had the exodus to look back, like I mentioned beforehand, and to look back on and say, man, what saving power God has that he's demonstrated. But the saving power of God was put on a million times more than that on display in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. God, when, when Jesus went to the cross, God was putting him to death for sinners like me and you. He was taking our sins and putting them upon his son Jesus and putting him to death in our place. He crushed him, Isaiah 53 says. He put him to grief. He put him to death so that we might have forgiveness of our sins, that we might be freed from that guilt and that bondage of sin in our life. And Jesus was laid in a tomb. And God raised him back to life to never die again. And he's ascended to heaven now. And that's where he is right now. And he offers eternal life to anyone who would place their faith in him. He offers resurrection to everyone, every human being. And he says if we are trusting in him and if we are praising him, if we're turning to him in worship and repentance, that he will forgive us. That is saving power that nothing could hold a candle to before Jesus or after. Like God's saving power was put on display in the coming of Jesus into our world. This, what they were singing for came true in the life of Jesus. And now Christ, as the one who has been raised from the dead, the, the human being who will never die again, he calls upon, in the spirit of Psalm 67, he calls upon all people everywhere to praise him. No exception. No people that are un, with exception there. He calls all people everywhere to praise him, to praise his Father, to praise the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself calls the nations to do that. Every nation to do and I would call upon you today if you are in this room and you have never done this. You have never turned from your sin and praised Jesus and said, please forgive me. Show mercy to me. Like I, I believe that you died for my sins and you were raised from the dead. Please forgive me. If you have never turned your heart toward him in repentance and turning from sin faith and confidence in him, I would urge you to do that today. If you want to use even the command given in this passage, I would call upon you very simply to praise Jesus. 
something you've never done before. Praise him for who he is and what he's done for you. And he will give you joy that is unspeakable, like we sang about earlier. He will give you gladness in your soul. And that's not without sorrow and sadness mixed in in life. But he will give you gladness in your soul to know that you are free of your sin. That you are free of the guilt that should be yours because he took it upon the cross. We are given a call now as the church, I believe. And I want to make one pass through this psalm one more time to read this psalm and think about it not as Old Testament Jews, but to read it and think of it as New Testament Christians, as people who, who love the Lord, who have turned to him in faith. As Christians, I want to point out two things as we read this psalm. We should be people who are experiencing joy in Christ. And we should be people who are spreading the joy of Christ. Like first, and I, I don't have time. We'll talk about this in weeks to come. But we should be people who are experiencing the joy of Christ. That's what this psalm was about. We are part of the nation. Like we are part of the peoples of the earth. That God's people long before us were praying and singing. Let those people find joy in you, God. That's what we're supposed to find when we come to Christ, is to find and experience joy. We, I was thinking through how to say this. We should not be okay with a faith in Christ that does not affect the experience of our souls. Like that is just cold and calculated and say, yep, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that. And then we are grumpy and we're despairing and we're discouraged and we're hateful. Like our faith in the Lord Jesus should make joy spring up in our hearts. It should give us a, a good cheer in our souls that can last in the midst of trials and mistreatment and sufferings and pain. There should be mixed in there and deeper in our souls. There should be a gladness and a happiness, a delight in God knowing that we are loved by him. We are forgiven by him. We will be with him for eternity in the new earth that his son sets up for us. And when we are lacking that, it is a complicated subject but when we are lacking joy, we should not just be okay with that and just think, well, that's how my life is. Like, I, I just am joyless Christian. Like, you are to sing for joy. You are to be glad in knowing Christ. And that should be something that you fight for, something that you seek out help from people for. If, if you are despairing, if you are downcast, if you are marked by steady sadness or gloominess or lack of gladness in God. It should be something you talk to other people about. Something that you say, can you help me with this? There are prayers in the Bible, you've heard them, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. You should be praying for it. Ask God to give this joy to you. Because you cannot give to others what you don't possess yourself. If you're seeking to tell somebody, you can find joy in knowing Jesus and you don't have it and you're not demonstrating it, why would they want that? Like, why would they long for that? Like, we need to be people who are fighting and trying to grasp for joy sometimes. It's hard. I've been in places where it's hard in my life to find joy. But we ought to fight for it and grab for it and ask for it and ask Christians to help us find it. 
We ought to be, when we come in this room, be seeking things that can stir up joy in our hearts week by week by week, with little reminders of, of who God is, of what he's done for us. These things can fuel joy in our hearts. So we should be people who are experiencing joy. But we are to be people who are spreading joy as well. That's this whole theme of this month, joy to the world. We are people who should be spreading this. That's what this psalm, as we read it as Christians, should still inspire in us. That we should still sing, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. That should be on our hearts. That's not just a song for Old Testament Jews to sing and to read, but it is for us to read and to have deeply ingrained in our hearts. We should want God's blessing, his, his gift of joy to extend further and further and further to places and to people that it's never gone. As God's people in the Old Testament were, we have been blessed in order to bless others, haven't we? These tables in the back, these opportunities, these opportunities to, to give towards people, to purchase things or make donations, this is a very tangible opportunity for us to take some of the ways that God has blessed us economically, financially, and to be able to bless other people. To be able to say, like, I have been given these things by God in order to give to others, in order to advance his care, advance his mission to others. I would encourage you to do that. But I want to press deeper and, and broader than just economic blessing to bless and say we as the people of God have been given a gift that is infinitely more valuable than money. Like We have been given the infinite eternal joy of God, the hope of eternal life, the confidence that we are loved by God, and we have been blessed with that so that we may take it and bless others with it. The good news of Jesus, the good news of great joy, as we'll read about in Luke 2 in a few weeks, we've been given that to share with other people, to spread to other people. Jesus, as he was about to go back into heaven after he was raised from the dead, there's a very familiar passage, but we could read right past this sometimes. In Matthew 28, he said to his disciples, go and make disciples, what, of all nations. That's Psalm 67. Like make disciples of all nations. Like we are to be people who are taking this joy that we've been given, this good news of Jesus that we've been given, and taking it everywhere to everyone. We are to, to take his, make his praises known and happen amongst all the peoples, all the nations, as this psalm says over and over. I don't want us to look too quickly to actually different nations from America. When we seek to, to make the nations be glad and sing for joy, I've said it a few times, but I'll say it again. We are part of the nations here. Like, think about what has had to happen in order for the gospel to come to you. Since the death and the resurrection of Jesus, almost 2,000 years have passed. So at least people had to be sharing the good news generation to generation for a few thousand years. But between you and the cross, there also lies an ocean. There also lies numerous translations of languages to other languages. English didn't exist when Jesus was raised from the dead. But people have passed on the good news and they've passed it into new languages and they've passed it across an ocean and across land. It has come to you. 
that the joy of the Lord has come to us as the nations here. And we ought not to just so quickly look to other nations that we miss the unbelievers that are right here next to us. They're right here with us as Americans. We need to be taking the joy of Christ to them, telling them about the joy of being forgiven and loved by God that was accomplished by the saving power of Jesus upon the cross. We ought to be taking joy to our neighbors, to our classmates, to our our coworkers. We ought to be taking the joy of the Lord to them. But we ought not ever stop there. Like, there are still nations, there are still peoples, to borrow language from here, and to borrow language from Genesis 12, there are still families of the earth where the joy of the Lord has not come. And if it is to go there, it will be on the lips of Christians like us. The nations are intended to be glad. All peoples, all nations are intended to know him as their savior, to find joy in God, the son, Jesus Christ, who was born for them and died for them and was raised for them. I am so grateful for a legacy within our church that believes that and values that and works to make that happen. We have sent a disproportionate number of missionaries, I would say, out from our church for the size of our churches to to the far reaches of the earth, uh, to places where there are no believers or there are small quantities of believers, and I praise God for that. That was part of why I wanted to come and be part of our church eight years ago, is because we had this heartbeat to see the nations be glad and sing for joy. I think of people like the Hoods who are home on assignment for a few months and are going to be going back to Africa and to Tanzania later in 2019 to do church planning work in Tanzania. I'd encourage you that we're going to have a prayer meeting tonight at 6 for them and for their their future ministry, their current preparation for it. I encourage you to come to that. I think of people like Chris and Evie Jones, who I mentioned that Chris is going to preach next Sunday, but they are investing years and years and years of their life to go in in the spirit of Jesus, go to a place they've never been to people who do not know them and probably have thought that they are strange and different. They have gone and said, we are going to live here. And they don't even have a written language, let alone know the scriptures or know the gospel. And they're saying, we're going to stay here and we're going to teach you how to read and write so that you can know the good news of Jesus and find your joy in him. That's their end goal. This is happening with many missionaries we've sent out across the world who are either doing direct work with people who've never heard the gospel or who are helping people do work to go reach the unreached. But this is exciting. There is people sitting in this room. I could look around and look them in the eye. People that right now God is raising up to do this more to go to new places, to go to nations and people groups and uh, places on this planet where God's joy is not known yet. And they, they are seeking to prepare and get ready to go. But one thing I, I want to put on our horizon as a church, and our, us as pastors want to put on our horizon and put in our sights as a church, is if those men and women are to go, like this psalm would call us to do, is to see we want those nations to be glad in Christ. It requires finance. It requires freeing them up to go as friends and as fellow church members and being willing to let them go and to encourage them and send them. But it also requires finance and sacrifice on our part to do that. It's part of why we've been sharing recently about our growth budget. 
where we don't want to just be content with the status quo of what God's doing and already been doing here. We want to be able to equip people and send people all around the planet to make Psalm 67 happen. The nations sing for joy. I would encourage you to think how you can be involved in seeking to make that happen even economically in the months ahead. And if we are to be a people who, as a church, are seeing and being part of God's joy coming to the nations, we need to be people who are praying for those we've sent out. This song is a prayer to develop this in our heart and then for God to make it happen. And we ought to be praying those things ourselves as a church, that God would stir up this desire in our hearts to see the joy of the Lord go, and then that he would make it effective as it does. We should be people who are praying. We should be people, like I said, who are giving toward the cause and not just sitting and having a, a small view of Warsaw, but have a, a worldwide view of what God is wanting to see happen. We need to be a church who is encouraging those we've sent out. I'm excited in the, the next year we're going to be seeking to do some very proactive things to give you opportunity to express encouragement or even make small gifts and whatnot throughout the year to our missionaries. But I encourage you as those come in the weeks and months ahead to take the opportunity to do that, to encourage them. And lastly, I would say that we need to be people, some of us in this room, need to be people who are willing to go. If, if, if no one leaves where they are as Christians, the nations will not be glad in Christ. They will not sing for joy. It takes people leaving and being sent and being encouraged to go. And I pray that there will be kids in our church who grow up, and I want to have a willingness if this is one of my kids, to go and give their life to take the joy of the Lord to the nations because he is worth it, and God wants it to happen. And if it's going to happen, it will happen through people like us going. As Christians, we ought to be people who yearn to see the nations find their joy in Christ. We're going to sing a song in here in just a minute, but I was very struck the last week or two by a story that I saw in the news in different capacities, and some of you may have seen it too. If you have, you probably have mixed thoughts about it, as I do. But there's been a story picked up by several major news outlets of, of a young man named... Jonathan Chow, uh, he was from Vancouver, uh, he was an American originally, and he's about 26 years old, and a few weeks ago he was killed on an island, a very, very remote, unreached island called the North Sentinel Island, uh, fairly near India, south of India. This island is, is one of few places in the world where there's still are very much unreached even by other human beings at all, people group. They, they're, people would think of them as natives uh, who people have, very few people have even been on this island outside of that group. And when they do, they're often threatened, they're often uh, killed or intimidated, made to leave if they even attempt that. And the government of India has sought to shield them, protect them uh, from outsiders coming to them. And though there may be disagreement about his methods and strategy, this young man, Jonathan Chow, made it his effort and his goal the last several years to go to that island knowing that he could be killed because he wanted them to find joy in Christ. And people have have mocked him and made fun of him as if he's just trying to spread Western life and civilization and colonialism and all these things. But you read what he wrote, and he wanted them to find joy in Christ. And he found a way through canoes and paddling himself to go upon that island 
and sought to stay there overnight. It was his second trip there, the first time he had been shot at with an arrow by a boy that had gone through his Bible that he had held up as he tried to protect himself. The second time when he went back, the next morning after he tried to stay overnight, he was, his body was seen dead, being drugged around on the island by men from that tribe on that island. And the world would look at that and think, what an idiot, or what an arrogant fool. And, but the question in my mind is, what would motivate him to do that? What would, what would fuel in a 26-year-old who has peace and, uh, and has probably everything that others would say that he could have or would want in life, what would lead him to do that? And my guess, my hunch would be that it's passages like Psalm 67. Like that he's read this and he believes it and he wanted to see it happen. And he wanted these people of North Sentinel Island to sing for joy and be glad in Christ. And he was willing to give his life to do it. He wanted so badly for the joy of the Lord to be spread that he was willing to give up anything. And we ought to be people, we made, most of us would never be called to that degree. And we cannot all go or there would be no one to send. But we ought to be people who are willing to go to the nations to take them the joy of the Lord. We ought to be people who are praying for those who have gone who are encouraging those who have gone, who are, are giving to, to fund and to fuel their mission. And we ought to be people who are part of that and spreading the joy amongst us even here. Uh, to our coworkers, our relatives, our neighbors, may we be people who long for the joy of the Lord to be made known.